The book of Proverbs. We're still in the poetry and wisdom literature section of the Old Testament, which is a relatively short section. I have uh, a plan in my mind, once we finish these poetry and wisdom literature books, to take a pause on the Old Testament survey, return to it in the spring, uh, and to go through the PCA report on human sexuality. Very different type of topic, so it seems, but I think it's something that we as a church need to make sure that we understand biblical sexuality, especially in a world that is increasingly deviant from um, God's design for sexuality. So that will be our topic uh, starting here in a few weeks after we do uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So coming up soon. But for now, we're in the book of Proverbs. And I think there is a lot that Proverbs has to say, not just to that topic of sexuality, but to many of the temptations of the soul and of the human mind. If I were to ask you your favorite proverb, I may not get the same type of responses as last week when I asked you your favorite psalm. But when you think of the Proverbs, do any phrases come to mind? Do any concepts come to mind? What is... When you think of the Proverbs, what stands out to you? Yeah. I think it's really on when the elders like saying, like, listen to your, like, as a father, listen to your father and I. Because it's like, we kind of know what we're talking about. That call to listen, absolutely. Yeah, Stephen. Um, I only recently was made aware that, like, Proverbs 8 and 9, Lady Wisdom, has a lot of, like, Trinitarian undertones and, uh, like, that Proverbs 8 and 9 thing is fascinating, and we'll get into it a little bit tonight. Yes, Deanna? Over the years, many wives and mothers, and including myself, have unfairly judged ourselves each other against the Proverbs. <laughs> Proverbs 31. You've, you've heard the saying, the Proverbs 31 woman. Mm. Brought conviction. Mm-hmm. Other insight into what's in Proverbs before we jump in? All right, let's jump in. It's helpful the way Nancy Guthrie begins uh, her her chapter here on the the Proverbs here in the the wisdom of God. She puts it this way. A biblical proverb is a little model of reality, a short verbal representation of some aspect of our daily lives lived in the fear of the Lord. I'm going to pause there before we look at the second half there. They're little microcosms of what it means to live as a Christian, what it means to live in relationship to God. And it's really an outplaying of our relationship to God and and God's spirit living in us in each one of these short snippets. Proverbs are not promises. That's something that's really important. This is where we see in the book of Job, the friends were not wise because they didn't know how to use Proverbs. They They took concepts and misapplied them in the wrong situation. 
Proverbs are not promises. They are generalizations and observations, not automatic rules. They are tendencies, not guarantees. And so one of the ones that we use often is train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Is that a guarantee? That is a generalization. That is an observation. It is not an automatic rule. You know very many faithful parents whose kids have strayed. And, and often we, we look at that and then we condemn ourselves and say, oh, I must not have trained up my child in the way he should go. And he's wandered. And that's not necessarily how the Proverbs work. In fact, that's, that's not how the Proverbs work. Who's known as the author of the Proverbs? Solomon the Wise. And you see, this is straight out of 1 Kings chapter 4 here. You could also look at chapter 3 and chapter 10 of 1 Kings, but we'll just read here the snippet from 1 Kings 4. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other wise men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite. And there were some other names listed there in 1 Kings 4 that I cut out, but I thought Ethan the Ezraite was interesting to include because last week we mentioned him as we were surveying the Psalms. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. That's a lot of songs and that's a lot of proverbs. The preamble in uh, Proverbs 1.1 credits King Solomon with authorship. And certainly he contributed, contributed the largest portions of the book. But there are also other wise ones who are contributors to the book of Proverbs. So uh, it seems that Proverbs uh, 1, 1 through 7 were, uh, were put here as a type of introduction to the first major sections. And, and generally this compilation is a compilation of Solomon's Proverbs, but there are exceptions. So if you look at the thematic outline, you can go down uh, in Proverbs 22, you see there are sayings of the wise. We're not quite sure who that wise, those wise ones are. And then you go down to Proverbs 30, and you have the sayings of Agur, 31, uh, sayings of Lemuel. So there are some others as well who contribute uh, wisdom to these prover- in these Proverbs. But you'll see there, uh, the largest sections are the ones called Proverbs of Solomon. Also, the Discourses on Wisdom, verses, or chapters 1 through 9. Uh, so those, those longer sections, um, Proverbs 1 through 9, it's, it's a group of, of lines that together, piece together uh, longer insight into wisdom, literarily longer. So John, the one that you were talking about of the father saying, listen, um, Proverbs 2, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, and on and on. That concept goes for a long time, and it's not just two lines. It goes for a longer discourse. Chapter 3, my son, do not forget my teaching. Uh, Chapter 4, hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Chapter 5, my son, be attentive. So you see these um, longer discourses that are connected. Speaking of the two-line proverb, let's look at the top of the middle column. Look for the two-line proverb. These are the things that you might have in, you know, when you were a kid, confused with fortune cookies. Uh, They make up about two... thirds of the Proverbs, these two lines that, that go, um, these two lines that work together. It's, it's not exactly a parallelism the way you find in poetry. 
it's its own unique form of a parallelism uh, that that's that is the two-line proverb and in these proverbs you'll see some repeating themes the way there are two ways to live uh, there's the way of righteousness, uh, and there's the way of foolishness. There's the way of life and the way of death. And that way is used about 70 times, that word way. There's the call to listen and the reminder that the fool does not listen. Uh, we, we do not naturally heed advice. We naturally think that we're right without anybody ever teaching us. And that, of course, is the definition of foolishness. And so the fool does not listen. And then uh, there's also... Uh, the personification of wisdom and folly. And so this gets into what Stephen was talking about with chapter 9. Wisdom and folly are personified as two two women. There's the woman wisdom and the woman folly. And in chapter 9, you see them. We'll we'll look at chapter 9 here in just a minute. But before we jump in there, let's look at Proverbs 1, since we've kind of given a a brief intro here. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. Specifically, we're going to take off uh, verse 1 and verse 7. Uh, which are kind of uh, a type of bookend here. Really, verses 2 through 6 are the meat of what I want us to look at right here. As you look through verses 2 through 6, what are some purposes that you see, like some, some goals of the Proverbs? What are they used to do? The second verse, for example, uh, the Proverbs are there to help us understand wisdom, and, uh, to, to know wisdom and understand words of insight. So they help us gain wisdom and they help us gain insight. Or some other things that the Proverbs are for. Yes, Deanna? To instruct the young. To instruct the young. You see that in verse 4. So what, what are some others? Verse five, verse 5, excuse me, talks about increasing in learning and obtaining guidance. You know, you'll know how to deal wisely, according to verse 3. You'll, know, you'll be instructed in righteousness, justice, and equity. I think we so quickly just dismiss the Proverbs as bonus if you ever get to that level of Christian maturity. But how are you going to receive instruction in righteousness? Well, the Proverbs are, are loaded with it. Verse two talks, verse three, excuse me, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. These are hugely important for the Christian life. And so um, the more time, I mentioned this this morning, the more time I spend in the Proverbs, the more I'm convinced I'm a fool. And, and I see that, I see that as the Spirit's gracious work in my heart to show me how foolish I am and to hopefully every time grow me a little more in understanding and in wisdom and in instruction. And so the Proverbs for me have been a really fascinating journey just over years, just slowly working through chapters, just rewriting them. Uh, and you, know, you all have seen those ESV um, prints of just one copy of the one book of the Bible and it's text on one side and blank lines on the facing side. Uh, It's great for Proverbs. You can either write out the specific application uh, as you read that proverb, or you can just rewrite it uh, in different words or rewrite it with a new metaphor. And then the next time you go through the Proverbs, get a new one and you'll have all new um, 
understanding and insight as you go through it again. These are so loaded. So the, this gives us the purpose, but really the ultimate purpose and the ultimate goal is given to us here in Proverbs 1.7. This is the part of the prologue and it kind of wraps up uh, the prologue and it gives us the heart of the book. This is probably the most famous one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is so countercultural to us. So how do you gain instruction? How do you gain wisdom? How do you gain insight? It's the fear of the Lord. And the world tells you that you gain wisdom and instruction and insight by uh, greater degrees and, and, and more smarts and knowing the books and being up on all the things that the world's talking about. And that's how you get wise. That is not how you get wise. These things are rooted in the fear of the Lord. Uh, there's, um, this is a, we could dive in deep on this concept, but does knowledge lead to faith or does faith lead to knowledge? In the truest sense of, of knowing knowledge in the richness of what knowledge is, faith leads to knowledge. It is only knowing the Lord that you can then see the truth of the gospel and know what truth is. It's only in fearing the Lord that you can understand your sin and understand the brokenness and the need of the world. And so true knowledge of things that are actually important only comes as a result of the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise it. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, excuse me, but fools despise wisdom and instruction because they don't need to fear anybody. They're kind of in control. And when I say that, I'm not just speaking to other people. I'm speaking to us too, because even as believers, we are so foolish and we also despise wisdom and instruction too often. And so we pray that the Spirit would help break us down every time to fear the Lord more and more. All right, thoughts so far before we get into some specific characters in the, the Proverbs? I just, um, I, it caught me to recall one, which reminds us to be meditating on God's word day and night, mm-hmm. because that's how you gain wisdom, right? The first mistake in the Bible is trusting our own instincts rather than on God's wisdom. It wasn't that God didn't want us to have the knowledge of good and evil. It's that who is the source of that, and it's God, and that's where wisdom comes from, mm-hmm. and the wisdom that you can get this side of, of the of the garden is through God's word, which is a you know a great mm-hmm. gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember the classification of Psalm one? Um, of the different types of psalms that there are in in the. No, I'm sorry. It's a wisdom psalm. Yeah. Okay. So it it is exactly right. that same concept. Yeah. Sorry, John's having uh, flashbacks here too. The classroom <laughs> at CBCA. <laughs> okay, let's let's look at some various characters here in in the proverbs. Now, each one of these, I've I've put some quotes in here of specific proverbs. A lot of them are two line proverbs that describe certain characters. There's the simple and the fool and the sluggard and the scoffer. And within these, you should be able to identify origin, 
of what makes the simple simple, of what makes the fool the fool, what makes the sluggard the sluggard, and scoffer, and then the wise at the end. Uh, you should be able to identify the origin, the consequences, and how you can change from being simple or foolish or a sluggard or a scoffer. So uh, let's try to do that here. Um, looking here at the simple, these are, again, excerpts from throughout. Um, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. That's uh, Lady Wisdom calling out in chapter 9 to the simple. So uh, where does this type of godless simplicity originate? Mm, that sounds about right. Um, or it's close to it. Mm -hmm. They believe everything. There's no discretion. Whatever they hear, they take it in. They, and that means they have no framework or backbone for what is true. Uh, they just, there's no, no filtering of it. Uh, there's also complacency on their part. Uh, you see that in 13 verse 2. Um. There's a lack of judgment. You see that from 22 verse 3. There's, you know, there's danger, but let's just go on and hope it works out. Well, they're going to suffer for that. What are some consequences? Well, I just mentioned one. Suffering. I might have stolen the one of the two here. 13.2 gives us a, a consequence of the simplicity of humankind. They're killed. They're destroyed. And how, how can that be avoided? How, what is a way to change from being that way? Of course, that comes from the last bullet point there. It's to turn in to wisdom. Come and eat, in the, eat of the bread and drink of the wine of wisdom. To leave those simple ways and to live and to walk in the way of insight. They're not talking about like a cognitive simplicity, like a simple person Correct. This is this is the somebody who is just maybe incurious or um, thoughtless. I guess it's it's a spiritual deadness. Yeah. It's a, a spiritual dullness. Just com spiritual complacency. I think is the best way to define it. Yeah. Yes, Deanna. live life reacting to everything that happens but this is intentionally choosing the path of wisdom that sounds like a purpose yeah. as opposed to just yeah. floating through life I, I think that's a great manifestation if you will of a simple person Yeah, that would be a great way to define it We've all been simple. <laughs>
in our lives. So we're all guilty. We all deserve that death and that destruction that comes from it. And often we find ourselves uh, simple in terms of fighting sin. The fool. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a blabbing fool will come to ruin. So the origin here, it's <laughs> chapter 22, verse 15, tells us what about the origin? It, it comes already downloaded onto the hard drive. Right, that is we are we are born fools. It is intrinsic to who we are. And how do you change? Well, the rod of discipline is is a means, absolutely. And God uses that rod of discipline often in such a gracious way. Job is one example of that. That was God's rod of discipline that grew Job, and He uses it in your life, and He's used it in my life, and we could all give great examples of it. And then some consequences are um, recklessness and carelessness. And a fool is a person of evil and is hated, uh, not necessarily by his foolish friends, uh, but by the discerning. A blabbing fool will come to ruin. Excuse me, <laughs> babbling. <laughs> um. Yeah, I read these things and I'm, I'm convicted. I say, wow, I, I am a fool in my heart and I need the Spirit's help to grow from that. And this, the Proverbs are good at identifying these, um, these areas where we are still not yet um, made holy. The sluggard. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Okay, so for me, this is uh, an absolutely offhand comment that you really shouldn't take seriously. But I think about um, when you are, when your dishwasher is finished, do you wait until later to harvest or to plow, you know, to clean it out so that it is then ready to be loaded again? Like when it's done, do you unload it or do you wait until you need it to unload it? Or... <laughs> Or when your dryer is done, do you remove the lint when the load is done or do you remove the lint before the next load starts? Right? So are you plowing in autumn or are you waiting till the spring to try to get things going? Um, all right, don't take that too seriously. These are just the ways that I examine my own way that I live. <laughs> that actually... That actually does not speak to my marriage, so I'm very grateful for that. No, this, these are just these are conceptual, so I'm not saying that just because Anjanette's not here. Uh, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. What's another famous sluggard uh, proverb? the ant one go to the ant you sluggard consider her ways and be wise how the ant works 
Uh, we all can excuse our sluggardness. We can all um, just say, oh, it's okay, we'll do it later. And, and there is a real need for us to be restful people. And this is not saying don't rest. There's a big difference between rest and laziness, between selfish um, ceasing and worshipful ceasing, between unnecessary ceasing and necessary ceasing. So I, I am trying to make sure that, you know, we're not, I'm not encouraging you to go burn yourselves out by emptying the lint every time the dryer's done. <laughs> the scoffer is the fourth of five characters. Now, these are not necessarily only five, but I found them to be helpful categories. The scoffer, uh, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Drive out a scoffer and strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. You, you know the person who you have spoken the truth to and they will not hear it. That's a scoffer. And then they'll go on and just say, Psh, can you believe that he thinks that that's how this ought to go? Um, just think back to high school. 90% of your friends were scoffers and you probably were too. Um, we all are. Uh, and so what is it that, that softens our hearts to hear the correction that we find in the gospel and to hear the truth of our brokenness and to hear the need for grace? It is only the miraculous life-giving work of the Spirit that softens us to, to be able to accept His Father's instruction. And then we come now to the wise. And these were too extensive for me to put on the paper, so we're going to have to use our Bibles. So open up to Proverbs 2, verses 6 through 8. Somebody willing to read Proverbs 2, verses 6 through 8 for us. Thank you, Cordy. What's the source of wisdom? The Lord. Who's the source of operation for the simple and the fool and the sluggard and the scoffer? It's self. The wise does not operate out of self. Wisdom comes from the Lord. Other thoughts on these verses here before we move on to chapter 15? All right, let's flip over to 15, verses 31 through 33. That is, that does not exist. Oh, it does. Okay, I'm sorry. It's right at, it's right at the end. <clears throat> um, would you read it for us? Sure. Thank you. That last line, we could spend all night talking about it. Mm -hmm. Humility comes before honor. 
the fool and the scoffer, they're the ones who strive and strive to build themselves up in order that they might have honor. But it is true, it is the humble who will be honored. This is the very concept of the last shall be first. This is the very concept of being a servant in the kingdom. And then we will be made rulers alongside Christ, dying to self that we might rise with him. Uh, and this is this this is how a Christian exercises his faith or her faith to grow in righteousness, humility and and sacrifice and submission in that way, and it's all out of fear of the Lord. I have so many more comments I can make. What are other comments? These verses in particular are very rich. So if, if it takes wisdom to know that you need wisdom in order to get wisdom so that you can learn from other people. Which takes humility. Which takes humility. How does it begin? The fear, of the fear of the Lord. And how do you fear the Lord? It's the work of the Spirit. And so we are entirely dependent on God to make us wise. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously. And it is God who does give us wisdom. And he is the one who makes us able to listen. Let's look at Proverbs 4. Verses 5 through 9. I love this. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. and Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. That's back to what John said a few minutes ago. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. There is a real activeness involved in becoming wise. What are some things that somebody has to do to become wise? Don't forget. <laughs> yeah, don't forget. If we are naturally forgetful people, that's going to take active work on our parts. Stay facing in the right direction. Yes. Keep your... That's right. Keep your eyes set on where you're headed. Mm. Prize her highly. Unpack that one. I just think of like a if you're sharing things in your life in your life that are priorities, wisdom should be near the top, like that you're looking up and towards it, like like a prize, like either for winning a race or for something that we have a trophy up high and everyone looks up at it. Because, you know, in this sense of it's the wisdom of the world we're looking up. 
you know, a physical response to it, but then also like uh, evidence in your life of putting it above everything else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That requires some diagnosis of your own heart and your own priorities. And it implies that it's precious if it's a prize. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's precious. That there's, that there's value to it as well. Yeah. Better than gold. Much fine gold. Sweeter than honey. From a honeycomb. Does a prize suggest it needs to be earned? Um... Mm. Well, if, if it were a prize, perhaps it's, it's something earned for you by Christ. But for it to be prized, um, is, what, what verse are you looking at, John? I don't, I don't want to... Yeah, that's, that's different than earning a prize. This is valuing her highly. And that requires diagnosis. And how do you know if you value other things more than you value wisdom? Well, you gotta, you gotta, as as they say, check yourself before you wreck yourself. You you know, um, like what is it that's driving you? Um, one of the, the things that I've found really helpful in my life is if something makes me angry, I prize it too highly. It's it's an idle issue at that point. If if I'm willing to let it make me mad. Um, 99% of the time, it's an idle issue. And so if I prize something too highly and it, you know, doesn't go my way, and, and then I, I realize, oh, I prized that too much, and I don't prize the pursuit of wisdom. There is uh, a diagnosis somebody made of American culture, and it's really just Western culture in general. It's that uh, we no longer value the slow development of character. Since when has the world, or, or when, when's the last time you remember the world telling you to focus on the slow pursuit of wisdom or godliness or character? Not once. It's all about instant gratification, instant comfort, instant satisfaction, nothing about the development of character and growth and wisdom. Self-care. Self-care. I know I've... Um, spoken against the concept of self-care myself. Um, yeah, it's, it's all, it becomes all about us. Not that there's not an appropriate time for us to rest as God has designed rest for us and to fill uh, ourselves up in the gospel and to gather with believers. These are all means that God has given us to care for ourselves. And it's not even us caring for ourselves, it's God caring for us because that's the care we really need. But the world just says, take care, number one. And uh, when I find myself doing that, it's, it requires me to humbly return to my God and say, Lord, show me what it is to live in humble submission and in wisdom right now. Because the world has duped me again. Why wisdom is personified as a female. I did not get into that in depth. Um, foolishness is also personified as a woman, uh, back to back in chapter 9. And I, I don't know how to explain why it's a woman. Yeah, I, I don't have insight into that. But it is worth looking at chapter 9. So flip over to chapter 9. 
You can skim through there and you can see the polar opposite terms that are used to describe these two women. There is an invitation that we read earlier to, uh, for the simple to come. This is verses 4 and 6. Just the simple to come and turn in uh, to, to wisdom and to eat the bread and drink of the wine that she's mixed and to, to grow, to leave the simple ways and to live and to walk in the way of insight. There's that invitation. The way of folly in verse 13 is the woman folly is loud and she's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever simple, let him turn in here. So it sounds like the same invitation. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So here she is in verse uh, 17, encouraging godlessness and lies and theft. But the simple does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. It's a uh, very poignant image uh, to be uh, seduced by this woman who promises to deliver, but turns out she kills all her prey. And that is the description of the enemy, whereas the way of wisdom uh, is described in polar opposite terms. Uh, and talking about the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom in verse 10. And verse 11, instead of death, you're going to find in wisdom the multiplication of your days and your years will be added to your life. There is great benefit and great reward in walking in wisdom. Lady wisdom gives and gives and gives. Lady folly consumes and devours. And we think that Lady Folly will deliver, but she does not. All right, let's, uh, that actually sets us up really well as we look at this concept of approaching the New Testament. The consequences in the Proverbs, both for the wise versus the others, uh, they anticipate someone to sort out the disorder of the world. We want someone who will put things right and usher in a new order. We're tired of being seduced by the woman Folly. We are tired of uh, these um, inabilities on our own to know what is wise and to do what is godly. And so we're waiting for somebody to put things right. And of course we know that that comes in Christ, who is the manifestation of the wisdom of God. Now, here is um, back to the very beginning when Stephen mentioned wisdom of chapter 8. So we're in chapter 9, or we're just reading in chapter 9, so flip over to chapter 8. Some argue that wisdom of chapter 8, which is personified here as well, is the pre-incarnate Christ, like you would describe the Word in John 1. This is the second person of the Trinity described in uh, certain terms. I, I don't think we can go that far to say that that is Christ pre-incarnate. Because in verse 22, yes, verses 22 and 23, 
It says the Lord possessed me, or uh, the other reading here in the Hebrew, if you read your footnotes in the ESV, is or fathered me or created me. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. It seems that this wisdom had a beginning. This was actually a passage used by those who defended the Arian heresy. He's saying this wisdom personifies Christ, and so therefore there was a time when he was not, and he was then um, he, he was created by God, and that's the Arian heresy that makes Christ the first creation of God. Whereas we say very clearly he was begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, and that's where that came from, and that that Arian heresy rooted in that interpretation of Proverbs eight, but. All that aside, there are incredible overlaps here between the person of Christ as the personification of wisdom and wisdom here as a concept that flows from God. Wisdom uh, could never have preceded God. Wisdom is um, God's character and, character and therefore is from him and of him. It's also not that, but, but wisdom also um, in that it flows from God is always, there was never a time that God was not wise. I'll put it that way. Um, but we see all these um, examples of how wisdom sounds, or, or Christ, how do I put it? The descriptions here in Proverbs 8 align with the description of the person of Christ. Um I did not itemize some specific examples. Uh, but when you look uh, in the middle of chapter 8, maybe toward the end, about the, the acts of creation, um, it says specifically in verse 27, when he established the heavens, I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea, to the seas its limit, on and on. Um, what this shows us is that God created with wisdom. Every action of his creation was wise. He did not do it independent of wisdom. Uh, Christ was the word who was there um, doing this, the creator. By him was not anything made that was made. In verse 30, wisdom also, like a master workman, was beside him. It was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. This is a personification uh, not a pre-incarnation personification of wisdom that we then see fully embodied in the person of Christ. And if you want more examples of that, 1 Corinthians one eighteen, we could go there. We probably should, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to. So your bedtime reading tonight is 1 Corinthians one eighteen and verses 23 and 24. We read Colossians 2.3 last week, uh, but you can turn there as well if you'd like. Okay, with that in mind, uh, let me pray for us and we will sing one more song to close the evening. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for your infinite wisdom. We praise you that you have taught wisdom and that you have shown us wisdom in your works of creation and in fullest form in the person of Christ. 
We pray that we would be dependent upon Christ. And when we are fools, would we realize that Christ's wisdom stands in for us in the end? And would we depend on you to be our source of life and growth and wisdom and understanding? We pray that we would be people who come to this book of Proverbs to feed. We would come and drink of this life that we would grow in righteousness and justice and equity and that we would be those who become more and more like Christ by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.